So a big chunk of my Twitter was all a wreck this week. We we, we lost BTS for a year, I guess. Oh, I know. I'm fo- I'm following the chatter, but I'm I don't know all their music. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I, I, I respect their game. I respect the fandom. Yeah, I can't, I sure. can't really hum one of their tunes, but I know that people who I care about care about this, so I feel bad. No, totally. It's like a big thing. It's a huge thing, you know. It's it's a cultural moment. Like, where were you when BTS took a year off? You know, I, I've I've seen this story with other boy bands in the past, oh, and sure. the break sometimes becomes a lot longer than you think. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's why people are worried. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to episode 287 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of the Matinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. There's a book out there called On Tyranny that says, quote, The hero of a David Lodge novel says that you don't know when you are making love for the last time that you are making love for the last time. That book uses it as a lesson to remember to vote, but for my purposes, I think about it as how it applies to today's guest. Not that she is somebody who I've made love with. I want to be very clear about that. But you see, in February of 2020, she and I sat down at a table in a very warm and comfortable room and discussed Stella Maggie's film, The Photograph, for what would live on as Matinee Cast 242. I didn't really suspect at that time that it would be a very, very long time before I would bring someone into my space to record a conversation the way I've been doing for more than 10 years. We just don't appreciate these moments as they are happening and recognizing them in hindsight is bittersweet. However, as we draw closer and closer to the moment where the show will resume in person, um, but until then, we uh, we are glad to welcome back virtually, still for a little while, um, the last person to sit with me at a table, break bread, and discuss film. She covers much of what is happening in the city at High's Musing, and she's a programmer at the Blood in the Snow Festival. We are lucky today to have Heidi Morales back on the show. How are you? Hi, Ryan. I'm glad to be back, even I- if it's virtual. <laughs> We're getting closer like you know like every every week every month it's like i see the boulder going a little bit further but it's like i don't want to rush things and i don't want to start celebrating in-person podcasts and then just have to tear it all down again that's the last thing i want to do i relate yes exactly on episode 287 we are going to be discussing crimes of the future we will be flipping the record over to play the other side we've got the whole show today so that means we will be learning more about Heidi. this is know your enemy So as mentioned, Heidi was here on episode 242. We talked about the photograph. I still love that movie, by the way. It's made mm-hmm. it now on demand. And every time I'm, I'm flipping through and I happen to see it, love it. It's wonderful. We learned on that episode that the first film Heidi ever saw in a theater was E.T. the Extraterrestrial. The last film she'd seen at the time was something called Standing Up, Falling Down. The worst film she's ever seen is Striptease. Her unseen classic or essential uh, was 12 Angry Men still. Oh, I have not. Ah, see, it's, it usually works that way. And the films, plural, that she wish she made um, were Red or John Wick. So it's time for round two. Heidi, what is a film everybody else hates that you like? I don't know that everybody hates this or film. Or they dislike but I, it. But I think there is a, a, a group of people that dislike it. And I will say is Constantine with Keanu Reeves. Ooh. Okay, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> Your dislike. face is kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> but... 
I guess it's because I'm into this sort of genre films that, and sometimes I don't need them to be completely deep or even like the visuals are not great. There's just something about the character that I find interesting. And I guess I'll always be a Keanu Reeves fan. So, you know, he plays like a demon hunter. It's right. It's kind right. of fluff in a way, but not his, I think is not one of the best films out there. But what do you like about it? Um, again, I like just the fact that he plays this character who's a demon hunter and, you know, he's, uh, he's like a chain smoker. He's not a perfect. He's a flawed hero. Yeah, I guess. Okay. But yeah, I, w- I would say. I'm just, I like those sort of, you know, fantastical horror, vampire-like demon things because it just kind of puts my mind somewhere else and I don't really think about um, I suspend disbelief, I guess is what I'm trying to say, you know, that they've created this other world mm-hmm. um, and I kind of just go where it, wherever it goes. I do remember when I saw that enjoying the world building, enjoying the story, like enjoying, like you say, like the concept of a demon hunter and mm-hmm. how he is able to to move through that world and conjure things and protect things and that kind of thing. Um, even if the the execution was a little bit spotty it's a little interesting to think back on it now because Mm -hmm. now that we're waist deep in comic book culture it seems strange to think about a time when a movie like that was not part of a larger universe and did not have a whole lot of money riding on it it was it was it's not even that old no Uh, it's like 2005 yeah 2005 so it's just it's kind of before comic book films wanted to become world building and they were all a little bit more disjointed. Like they, they kind of played in the same pool, but they didn't necessarily interlock the same way. Like if that movie were made now and it's funny, that story was later adapted into a TV show, which didn't work. Mm -hmm. That lasted something like half a season and it got canceled. But then the character got folded into another TV show and he was beloved. So it was like, you know, it's kind of like third time's a charm. With that, but I do remember I was on another podcast uh, to talk about Constantine, and I remember th- saying mm-hmm. exactly that. That while I wasn't crazy about that film, I did like the world, and I did like the character, and I wanted more time with him. Um, right. And I got my wish. I got a show for a few minutes, and then I got him in another show. So I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think I might have to go back and rewatch yeah, Constantine. Exactly. Make it a lot better yeah. than I remember. All right, let, flipping the script. What is a film that everybody else likes that you don't? Um, I guess I will pick, um, it's a wonderful life. Wow. I don't hate it. I will say that's my one thing. I don't hate it. Um, I also think I'm, I'm not, I just don't watch a lot of those Christmas movies anymore. Sure. Uh, I find other Christmas movies now, like, you know, because there's newer films that, like, I mean, I'm still kind of discovering that are kind of Christmassy related, but yeah, yeah. Well, I don't even know what it is about it. I think I just I saw it so much growing up that I feel like I'm done with it. Oddly enough, it is still the film I have seen in theaters the most times because oh. I've seen it. I've seen it like ten times. It, it played for, sure. for a while here in Toronto, and I'm sure when we get back to life as normal, it plays in a rep in a, in a rep theater every single Christmas. So like yeah. the Bloor will play it or Lightbox will play it. Back when we had even more of them, it was really easy to find screenings. So right. for a stretch there, every Christmas I would go to the screening, usually right around Christmas Eve too. And I kind of tallied it up and I ended up seeing it like 10 times over a stretch <laughs> of like 12 years or so. Right. Um, I think, you know, like, listen, it's, it's, it's a film that I adore 
But <laughs> that said, like, this was not a setup, I swear. No, I know. I believe you. I totally believe you. Um, the structure of it has been ripped off so many times, right? That that final act where it's like, let's look at life without you, um, has been told and told and told and told like over a whole lot of other films and other shows and whatnot. So that part of it, you know, it doesn't hold the same weight. I think what's still interesting to me though, is it actually takes a long time to get there. Like two thirds of the movie go by before we get to that whole, let's see what happened if you weren't here. Right. Um, yeah. That part that part is always interesting to me. But one thing that you point out that I do like is I every passing year, I'm getting more and more and more into what I call not Christmas Christmas movies. Right. So movies that have a Christmas component but are not a Christmas film. So like last year we added one to the tally because now every December I'm gonna be watching the Green Knight as a for instance. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um rent is a non-Christmas Christmas movie. Oh, right. uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower is a non-Christmas Christmas movie. Batman Returns. Batman Returns I usually watch on Christmas Eve. Um, nice, and it's Batman Returns was released 30 years ago today, the night that we were oh, recording wow. this. Yeah, time Interesting. flies. Interesting. So while you are, you know, cutting me deep, <laughs> to everybody else likes um, It's a Wonderful Life, but you don't, I do, I do get it. You know, I'd never like tear a strip. First of all, I'd never tear a strip off somebody for not liking a film. I don't believe in that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd never tear a strip off somebody for not liking It's a Wonderful Life, or at least not loving it. Because I think you're saying you like it, but you, you're you not over the moon for it the way some people call it, you know, a master. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think it's, I'm not seeking it at Christmas anymore, yeah. if you know what I mean. Sometimes you don't have to try. It finds you. That's the weird I part. I know. And I, I, I just dodge it now. <laughs> You've become good at ducking. <laughs> yes. Heidi, what was the last movie to make you cry? Um, I'd say most recently was a documentary at Hot Dogs called uh, Mama or Mother by a uh, social indigenous Mexican director, Shun Seto. Okay. Uh, for anyone who's interested, I covered it on my website. So um, it was there just we- a really, I guess it's just a mix of everything. Uh, in my personal life, but it was also an open dialogue between him and his mother um, through this documentary, you know, sort of like a cultural thing that I I think he wanted to explore what it's like to be a son who thinks he's got an opinion about the mother that he's known, but he doesn't really know her, know her, if you know what I mean, like from an adult perspective. Okay. Because when you're a child, you kind of create this vision of your parents. Yeah. You know, and if there's a separation, then you might blame one parent over the other. And I think he kind of wanted to confront those things among other things. Wow. I mean, yeah. our, that sounds heavy already. Was Is there any anything in particular that made you cry about it or just the whole thing put together? I think it was and- a scene where she actually comes across as very powerful in her own life now. Like she talks about the work that she does, that she's... Um, she goes from town to town, and I think she works with some uh, outreach in terms of healthcare for Indigenous people. And just the fact that she has spoken about whatever violence she experienced growing up and being a single parent, but just that strength of character, I think, sort of wow. like what, what got me. And I think it was just, I was in a vulnerable time. <laughs> I mean, you, know? you mentioned that it played at Hot Docs this year, and I don't know about you, but I am like, I sit down for anything emotional and I'm just like the pump is primed. 
You know, I, I am just like ready to go at the slightest provocation. I have cried at more concerts than yeah, the sure. last year and some than I had the previous 40 some years combined. Um, so first of all, I will link your, your writing about it in the show notes. So if anybody's interested to read more of what Heidi has to say, look in, look in the post for the show. Is the film um, streaming anywhere yet? Like, can people find no. it? No. So yet? unfortunately, it's still doing its festival circuit. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Look out for it for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're lucky here in Toronto. We have a whole uh, platform and theater dedicated to it. So odds are it'll probably show up there sooner rather yeah, than later. Absolutely. So, I think um, so. Mama. Okay, okay. That sounds very interesting. I'm going to have to look that up later. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie of your life, who plays you? So I actually had to think really kind of took a minute to think about this because mm-hmm. I never think of. No, so, of my very life, few of us do. Very few of us do, but there is. A, I actually, I actually remember an actor uh, who is uh, Guatemalan. She's Mayan Indigenous, and she worked in a film with um, Jairo Bustamante. It's called La Llorona, like the crying woman. Okay. Um, and her name is Maria Mercedes Coroy, and it's just I like how she's sort of a quiet presence, but very in all the films that she's done with this director. It's sort of like. You know, she doesn't say much sometimes, right. but, but I like she, that. She's a, okay, but she's always she's always there. I love those relationships with films where, you know, like it, it's always lovely to see a film where a director is constantly working with the same actor or actress every time. But I also like the ones where the background players are very very similar, where he, they they kind of get like this little like band of merrymakers to fill out the cast. Pedro Almodovar does that a lot. Absolutely. You see the, you see the same kind of people come and go in the background of his film. Um, obviously, um, you know, um, Christopher Guest has his whole brood of comedians. Um, so yeah, so knowing that it's not a person who's always front and center, but just kind of left of center, that, that's kind of sweet. Yeah, and I mean, she's, yeah, she's been lead, but she's also been sort of a, another, she's not always lead, that's what right. I'm saying. Right. Um, but that relates also to our director for this film. Cronenberg, okay. he has his own. He does. Yes, he does. This is very, very true. Okay. Um, and if, if people were to look for like one movie starring this actor, what would you point them towards? Um, I would say the one I mentioned is in English is The Crying Woman, but in um, in Spanish is La Llorona. Nice. And it's a slow burn. It's not a horror, yep. uh, but it is sort of in the, in the gray zone of genre, Sorry. if you will. Gotcha. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll be talking about like, you know where where the lines for the genre are going into this so that's that's, that's a good good choice for sure okay. uh last but not least for now um Heidi Morales what are you watching next uh for sure I have to watch screeners for bits the blood in the snow yeah. uh festival and but I think for my own um interest there is a film called the village house and um Exactly. That's what I did. I received an email about it, and it's a first-time Indian filmmaker, Ashal Mishra, I believe is the director's name. It looks like an art, like one of those cinematically art, you know, artistic films. Okay. That is very different for what I've been watching lately. So, hmm. okay. yeah, so, I'll see. I'll see about that. Uh-uh. With its patient lens and attention to textures, this, uh, this sounds like it might need need to be something where you're uh, you're a little you're a little bit more awake for it. Um, oh, like, oh, yeah, absolutely! Like it's probably maybe Saturday afternoon kind of. 
<laughs> I gotcha. The, the top critic uh, review of it also does mention Chantel Ackerman, and I've been watching a lot of Chantel Ackerman oh. the last year or so. Nice. So, okay. I, I'm, I'm back. I got it. All right. I'm with you. You got it. You're sort yeah. of there? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I knew there was something there that might the, kind the, of the, pique the, someone's interest. Gotcha. The Village House. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll have to have to watch for what you think of that, too. Um, we will learn more about Heidi the next time she shows up, but we have um, Humdinger to talk about this time that she has shown up come on back in just a moment for the new slang we're going to talk about crimes of the future right after this Crimes of the Future is written and directed by David Cronenberg. It stars Viggo Mortensen, Leia Sadu, Kristen Stewart, Scott Speedman, and Don McKellar. Crimes of the Future is about a society in the days to come where humanity has largely evolved beyond feeling physical pain and being prone to infection. In this society, people can evolve to be able to consume materials that are not organic, which is to say some can eat plastic, while others can grow entirely new organs. In the latter category is Saul Tenser, that's Vico, who, along with his partner Caprice, that's Leah Sadu, make a performance art out of removing his extra vestigial organs. And when one such performance is witnessed by a young bureaucrat from the National Organ Registry, played by Kristen Stewart, she says the quiet part out loud. Surgery is the new sex. But can things go too far? Can morals become so compromised that we will do the unthinkable in the name of proving a point, chasing a thrill, or both? When you have the inability to feel pain, it's hard to keep sight of the line. Crimes of the Future is a return to what made David Cronenberg, a story that is dark and squishy and gory and really freaking weird. This should not surprise any of us, given that this is the same gent who brought us Existence, The Fly, Crash and Dead Ringers. When it comes to an artist going back to old inspirations, though, it can be a slippery slope. On the one hand, it can be a worthy addition to the canon that cites old work and pushes it somewhere new. On the other hand, it can be keeping it safe and playing the hits. So, pop quiz hotshot. What does Crimes of the Future represent for Cronenberg? Is he adding to his legacy, or is he playing it safe? I don't know about playing it safe. Mm Mm-hmm. I think he's just at a different age now. So I think he's adding to the legacy with, with new perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in agreement um, in in, whether those two options are concerned. He did some very different things for pretty much the entire century so far. Like you've got to go back quite some time to find another. Yeah. To find another really weird one. Like you got to go all the way back to 99 with Existence. From 2002 onward, starting with Spider up until now, everything has been, you know, they get a little weird, uh, <laughs> as, as human stories do, but they never get, as I said, squishy and <laughs> gross and really this dark. Um, he's now going back to vintage Cronenberg. Right. Um, however, for me, what I liked about this movie and what I liked about his approach to this story is it doesn't really feel like he's repeating himself. There are other filmmakers out there who have added another one into their gangster series or added another one into their prestige series. And it just Mm -hmm. feels like they're playing it safe. That is not what I feel like here. I feel like in the 20 years since he's done a 
weird and dark movie, the world has changed so drastically that he felt a need to address where we are with what he used to do. I liked it, but I liked his older films as well. So, uh, and I went with somebody who I knew would also like it because not like it, but we are Cronenberg fans, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we saw the trailer and we're like, okay, let's just go check it out. (laughs) And um, my friend's comment at the end of the film is like, I don't know what the walkouts were about because it's Cronenberg, like in in con, right? Oh, of course. People walked out. Did they boo? They love to boo there. Yeah. So uh, maybe, um, but he turned to me and he's like, you know, it's good. I don't see what the shock is about it. But again, I think we have a different sensibility to what Cronenberg kind of does in film, knowing his previous films. Yeah. I now appreciate films thinking of the production value Mm. of the entire film. Because film had production I, value, that's for you good. know, and it's it's not just visual; it's yeah, the yeah. cast, it's the music, and I, and I, I do pay attention to music quite a bit now because there are films where it takes away from what's going on, but because he's worked with Howard Shore so many times, it's like he knows what David Cronenberg wants, and it's going to that point of the relationships you mentioned of you know sometimes it's the same actors or, and I think it kind of gives this other sort of feeling if you will to the movie is it bizarre absolutely (laughs) yes um i'm with you i i enjoyed the heck out of this movie i went in knowing nothing uh except that david cronenberg and who he was working with um so i really didn't know what kind of movie i was getting i I think somewhere i got the illusion that we were going back to body horror i didn't think that i was going to be going and watching uh, a history of violence or, or, mm-hmm. you know, a perfect mm-hmm. method or anything like that. I, I was like, I think he's, he's, I think I knew that he'd gone back to the sandbox, right. but I didn't know in what way I didn't know, you know, what, what I was going to be in for at all. I watched the trailer now and I'm like, man, a lot of the things that really hit me, they were right there in the trailer. If I hadn't known, I would have <laughs> seen them. I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. You're right. It is really handsome. It's just so rich. Like every single scene every single set just has so much mm-hmm. going on whether it's that that bureaucratic ministry that they're in that's that dank oh, dusty yes. corner mm-hmm. like forgotten corner of a building or um you know the the studio like certainly all of the little pods that mm-hmm. tensor stays in like that chair and that that bed like they're all like production design gone back off the chart again i think what i love about this movie is there's a lot of acting going on around the sides, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a movie where there's there's a performance art that keeps coming up again and again and again. And right. along with the fact that we're watching the performance artists, we're also watching the audience. Um, and the audience, they are all acting their asses off because they are all yes. really captivated voyeurs that are really selling this art scene that they all partake mm-hmm. people are really selling it now that you mentioned that i i wonder what the actors were thinking also while filming you know because it's i'm sure they were also thinking like my gosh we're in this setting you know <laughs> and it's also like they're mirroring our own experience as well oh totally when yeah, we're like watching the film right yeah yeah they're, they're, it's it's funny because in all of these sequences you can see you can see the gamut that you would see in a theater. Like you can see the people who are into it a little too much. You can see the people who are not into it at all and want to go. You can see the people who get drawn in the more it goes on. Like it's like, it's very, very representative 
of I think so. the I kind think of people so. that would gather in a the- in a cinema. Um, this metaphor at the center of this film, the you know that we've society has come to a point where they are unable to feel pain. What did you make of that as a central metaphor? I found it quite interesting because I was at the screening. I guess I should also kind of share that I was at the screening where Cronenberg introduced it um, and had a Q&A after. It was interesting to find out that he actually had written this about 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Right? So, and it was the producer, Robert Lantos, who came back with the script and said, you know, this is timely. Like, what about doing it now? And even Cronenberg himself wasn't too sure, but he said eventually he kind of read it again and said, you know, this is makes sense. I can make this now because it actually relates to a lot of what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that little bit of information kind of put that in perspective for me because I was like, where's he going with this? You know, yeah. uh, this, this lack of pain because we'll, I think we'll put whatever meaning we want to that sort of metaphor because Cronenberg uh, himself has says that he doesn't really have, there's no, ex- like, there's know, no like, one explanation to it. Exactly. Right. There's no like, ulterior uh, motives, right? Yeah, like he's yeah. very clear about this is how I write. This is how I just think of humanity as it is now and right. where it could be going. Okay. Um, so I kind of keep that in mind now when I, when I think about it, but I do think that it, I agree with the idea that it's very timely because society in a way does feel like it's not moving away from feeling pain, but we, we become kind of used to seeing a lot of images that are horrific or whatnot. And We've grown kind callous. Of like callous, but it's just the idea that we're almost too desensitized sometimes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is like in a way pairs up with that. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, I certainly took it for a metaphor for a lack of empathy mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. You know, because I cannot feel pain, it me. you know, like I am not worried about anything else. Like if it doesn't affect me, it, it may as well not exist. Um, whether that is cutting yourself open or whether that is the way you move through the world and whose lives you affect and how, you know, like laws are written for, for people who may not be you. Um, it's, it's that even just watching it on, on this screen, like seeing people, you know, like, don't get me wrong. Like there, there is a very large subculture of people out there who, who feel pain as pleasure, but this sure. movie took it and just ran with it. Right. Like, the, yeah, the, the, where we'd gone beyond like, you know, just being hit to actually being cut open. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's just, it's almost grisly to see. And it kind of makes you think like, you know, one, are we doing this because we enjoy it? Like, are we doom scrolling through something because some part of us enjoys that? Or are we watching something that is not good for us because some, you know, and I don't mean a movie, like, you know, a trashy movie or something like that. I mean, something that has just no redemptive value because we're actually getting a thrill out of it. It, You know, it's, it's interesting that Cronenberg doesn't have an answer, but just watching this and watching the people, you know, how, how little they care because all of a sudden they can't get hurt and can't get infected um and what you know how that shapes them i'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit late in the film there's an idea for an event like for one of these installation pieces one of these performance art pieces you know the the scott speedman character comes and he says i think you should do this in front of a whole bunch of people and there's a little bit of humming and hawing but eventually they do it Mm -hmm. and 
just that concept on in the surface. It's like that should be just an absolute positive no. But mm-hmm. that's the thing. This particular society, people are just so messed up because they can't feel physical pain that it's starting to affect the emotional pain they can feel that there's actually a conversation about whether or not it should happen. And ultimately, this idea does go through when in reality, it should just be a non-starter. And I think in, in the film, there are different pockets of society that use this lack of pain or this inability to feel pain for their own purposes. The Scots um, Sweetman character, he's got his own agenda as to why he wants to push for these sort of performance art pieces, as you mentioned. But there's also the audiences, because like you said, even in the audiences that go to these performance art um, shows, there are people who seem to be enjoying it quite a bit. I think everybody has seen The Man with the Ears. I'm not giving too much away. So, you know, even that to the extent of, you know, um, just witnessing that sort of art, I guess, shows that there are people who kind of do find pleasure in a different way. It could also allow them to experience emotions that maybe they don't have access to in other ways, right? I mean, the whole point of... Don't get me wrong. I've never been to any installation art that's nearly this weird. I've seen some strange things in galleries and strange things on gallery walls, but I've never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of art out there that is really, really weird. I I, I think that there's a, 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 a critique of the artists without tearing them down of like, what are you actually trying to say? And are you actually saying it to make people think or are you doing it to serve your own agenda like watching Mm -hmm. as we watch um caprice perform these pieces Mm -hmm. um you can see how much of a thrill she gets from it right you know it's not just a matter of making a statement and letting it like cronenberg does make Mm -hmm. a statement and let people interpret it she's making a statement and she is enjoying the holy hell out of herself while she makes a statement it's interesting from the angle of they're also life partners yeah right like yeah. They're not just artists, like artistic partners, right? But there is like a, a obviously a story behind that, and that is sort of I'm thinking of it uh, to the line that you mentioned uh, is surgery is the new sex, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's it's also that level of intimacy for the two of them, and they're completely comfortable with it being public, right? Right. So I think it is also kind of it can be taken that way too. That's how I also saw that that she's she's not enjoying it from like an evil perspective. At no. least I didn't pick that. No, from no, her. That's, you know, it's that's and I kind of want to point out that yeah, that's, for people I mean, that, who might not see the film, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's that's the interesting thing is you know we've got this we've got this credo in the middle of it that surgery is the new sex, and we've got a society where nobody can feel pain, and yet at the same time none of the art and none of the thrills that are being chased are exactly what I'd call sadistic. You know, Mm -hmm. like I saw way more sadism in a recent film called pleasure, um, Mm -hmm. you know, which is all about um, an actor making her way through um, the modern porn industry. And it's, it's this interesting dichotomy where a scene that is supposed to be really, really hyper kinky and brutal actually turns out to be a very controlled and very safe environment and this so-called like slightly kind of rough scene ends up being really brutal there's none of that in this like even though 
what starts out as performance art and what starts out as dishing out pain. It doesn't take long for really for like the the metaphor is not subtle for it to tip over into the sexual at the same time. It's, it's not that kind of story. It's not that kind of kink. Um, That whole thing though, surgery is the new sex. So first of all, um, you know, you might as well give Kristen Stewart an award for the way (laughs) that she delivers that line. She is actually doing some, really interesting things in this movie because she's playing a much meeker version than we've come to see her mm-hmm. as you know like the last 10 or so years where we've seen her post twilight we've seen her as a much right, more yes. self-assured okay. um actor as she moves through the space that she does in this movie she seems a lot more timid but in that moment she is like alive like the the you know the electric wire has been pressed to her <laughs> side and you know right. and she gets yeah. to mutter out Boy, the mics um, are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Surgery's the new sex. She's good. I. She's so good that I actually hated her character. Like, <laughs> that's. I mean, that's, that's. Yeah. That's really how I. I turned to my friend. I'm like, yeah, she's that good. Mm-hmm. Her character just annoyed the you know out of me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but she's good that way because yeah. she does represent like this organization that controls these, you know, or tracks these new organs that people are creating and all that. But she's still really, really interested in these surgeries or, you know. A little too interested. Like, she's the one you're like, okay, you just, we just unlocked something in you and we were watching this in real time. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say it's unexpected. I probably should have expected it because it's a David Cronenberg movie and there's usually (laughs) weird sex in there somewhere. That whole end of this story was a delicate balance. Like if he'd pushed that too far, this would have got icky in a hurry. For me, this that that whole end of it, the whole metaphor of it tipping over into sex was well handled. What say mm-hmm. you? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it was a very tame film in that sense versus what other films came. So yeah. if I think of the fact that he wrote this before maybe some of the other films he made, yeah, you know, this is a little tamer in that sense. Yeah, right? I mean. It's still not hard to see. Like the second somebody <laughs> plugs a cable into, you know, a little cut orifice into Vigo Mortensen's body, it's like, okay, I got gotcha. oh, <laughs> you. For know? sure. It's, it's for sure. Like I said, if you're not somebody who can watch like surgeries on TLC, you remember TLC back in the day when they used to show yeah, the operation yeah. or uh, Dr. Popper, those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's funny that you mentioned the walkouts because that is something I've no- like I noticed – when I was younger, I wouldn't have been able to watch this. Like I would have had to turn my head at a lot of the scenes where people are cut open. But this time around, I didn't even flinch. So I was like, I don't know what that says about me. Um, I've, been, I've been talking a lot. Was there something about this movie that jumped out for you? I like the concept of these new organs and what they could potentially mean. But again, I feel, you know, is it in a way it's also kind of related to, you know, some health issues that we're, like, we know people are experiencing, like, cancer or, you know, how your body starts to sort of change itself. In the in the case of uh, Viggo Mortensen's character, Saul, is there also a will that he wants to generate this new organs? To me, that was a little interesting thing because that's where my mind went. I, I think when you mention that, uh, the one thing I find interesting is this whole subplot of, people who have evolved to eat plastics and what that says about sustainability. Like we are starting to push the resources of our planet really, really far. And it's, it's crazy to think that some of us 
could develop, you know, consumption of other materials that are not organic as a mm-hmm. way of surviving. Um, right. it's, it's funny because at first that seems jammed in the whole people can eat plastic thing, even though it's the kind of the starting point of right. the movie with this kid on the shore and then he goes and eats the garbage <laughs> bin. Um, it's like, welcome to the film, everybody. Uh, at first it seems tacked on, but then right. the more you think about it, if it's a society where we have evolved not to feel pain, it's not that far of a leap to think that we have also evolved to be able to eat different materials. And that is very, very dark. That might be darker than not feeling pain. To an extent. Yeah. Because it's also, yeah, that's kind of messed in my head. I'm like, that's kind of messed up, you know, because I didn't know where this was going. Like this actual in this, in the beginning of the film, I'm like, I don't know where this is going already. Yeah. And I don't know what it's going to mean. But then I, it take I think of that scene where Saul is talking to um, the cop. Oh yeah, I loved him. Yeah, Wolkit Bunge, I think yeah. is his name. Yeah, uh, great, great actor. And um, I love working those... for working for New Vice, and he's like, "What kind of what kind I of know, right? New Vice?" And he's like, "It's the kind of department that gets funding." Yeah. <laughs> I, I love I... I love that police departments are based on how they'll get money. Exactly, exactly. But I do, so they do talk about the other kind of part of society that's evolving these, you know, abilities to, to eat plastic. And I like the dialogue that the two characters were having about that. You know, what is the, is it a threat? Is it a, is it good? Or is it bad? And I think Saul is sort of not sure of whether it's good or bad mm-hmm. because of his own body doing its own thing. Yeah, I mean... As a Saul is a very, very thoughtful protagonist. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a lot of things to do. There's sometimes where he's the canvas, there's sometimes mm-hmm. where he's the muse, there's other times where he seems to just be a bystander. Um right. Vigo is asked to do a lot of different things and to kind of be really quiet about how he can do it. Like Vigo over his career has kind of become this quiet, simmering presence, mm-hmm. like the kind of person who you think might lash out kind of quickly a history of violence um actually though those two films together a history of violence and eastern promises are really kind of what i think of when i think of vigo like a person who is very capable of snapping really quick and doing some damage this Mm -hmm. movie he is much more reserved um much more restrained like he seems fragile like i mean he is fragile in this movie but he's Mm -hmm. you know even just the way that he's always clearing his throat um, sometimes not even when he has to talk, just he's sitting there and he has to clear his throat. You watch him in that chair where he has to be like contorted to eat. It's a really, really interesting use of an actor. And I think that's why that pairing works because mm-hmm. they have this history and, you know, um, you know, the one thing they, they talked about in the Q and A where I went, the screening that I went to, he's like, I like that, you know, um, Viggo Mortensen said, and even Scott Speedman said that they like that they do the one take. And there's not a lot of like rehearsal. Like they feel confident that Cronenberg is is confident in their own wow. abilities, which is interesting because you we hear from other directors where it's you know yeah several several yeah. things yeah no so kidding. that was very interesting that was very interesting to hear yeah um, but they all see but Viggo Mortensen just seems to be kind of intuitive in what. Um, Maybe the script was written in that particular way. That and also the sensitivity that he's known this director now, and they know each other outside of just filmmaking. 
so they know each other and, and their sensibilities that I think allow him to to kind of know where the character needs to be at each particular part of the film. I think that's good because there's not a boatload that happens without Vigo around. Like there are several scenes um, where, you know, where, where it hinges a little bit more on Caprice. I'm thinking specifically like when she is talking to the technicians, the technicians um, who are kind of this odd little like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern who sweep into this movie, you know, except not to get killed, but to dish out the, to dish out yeah. violence, but have uh, like little to do with anything else except to basically like bring vengeance. But we get, you know, we get her talking to them and how worked up they get about the technology that they're working with. This is, I mean, this is a film where a lot of people get worked up about a lot of things. Yes. And, I think one of the things that's interesting about this movie that maybe it wants to say, but it doesn't really want to be overt about it is we go back to surgeries, the new sex and the voyeurism that comes with it. And, you know, whether it's these, these technicians who are really, really interested in the, the pieces that they work with or these artists really kind of getting all in a titty over the pieces they are going to create. At one point there's even really a not so subtle metaphor of, well, who's on top? Um, <laughs> but what I think is interesting about all of that when you put it together is it also kind of has this nod towards chasing the dragon where people need a higher and higher and higher thrill to mm-hmm. really get their, you know, to really get that rush. There's actually been studies that have looked at um, young teenagers, young boys, young girls, and who have been exposed to porn at a young age and how they are not aroused by just straight up two people having sex, you know, Mm -hmm. like there has to be an added thing to it. Otherwise, you know, I I think like that's in here, not over, it's kind of in the margins. It's not the main topic, but I think it is in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Am I not you kind of see that in here as well of, you know, the, the, the cautions of chasing a higher and higher thrill. You know, I, it's the first time I actually think like, by you saying it, I didn't really pick up on that. But it's interesting because I think that's part of the reason I like Cronenberg films mm-hmm. because we find things in it that are interesting and you might have one kind of point of view and I'll be like, oh, that's cool. It's interesting. I didn't yeah. think of it, yeah. you know, and that's what I'm experiencing right now. I wasn't thinking of that, but I was thinking more of, um, I was thinking of the relationship dynamics. Yeah. Sort of, the, yeah, the relationship, yeah. Tell me about that because the relationship dynamics are fascinating. Because, as you mentioned, so the Vigo character, Saul, has relationships with different people. So there's the main relationship with his partner, and it's a big P here, where it's like artistic, life partner, you know, um, Caprice, interesting name also. Mm-hmm. And um, he also has this relationship with the cop, the detective, I think. I think that's what he is. Um, he's advice. And um, then he develops this sort of other side kind of relationship with the two characters played by Don McKellar and um, I forgot her name just now. Kristen Stewart, the, bu- the, the bureaucrats from the National Organ Registry, which, sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he, yeah, he, he develops this very, it's like they're really into him, but he's not sure what he thinks. He's of not them. sure. He's not yeah. sure. And it's almost like, I feel like his character is the character that almost wants to be connected to different people. Yeah. That he almost wants that, you know? Yeah. Which, and uh, I found that interesting. 
I mean, because it is interesting because that's along with this whole movie becoming a metaphor for how we've been the last few years of not feeling the same sort of pain that maybe we mm -hmm. should have. Um, right. There is also the metaphor of the connections that we did and did not have. Right. So like we had that immediate connect, some of us, the lucky ones had that immediate connection with our, our close partners, but then we were missing those secondary and tertiary connections that really make a life, you know, like right. those kind of ones that obviously you can see, he's not sure of how they all stand, but he's curious about them and he values them. I think so. And I think he's, he's just trying to figure out where he fits in. Yeah. And all of this. And the Scott Speakman character, too, because it's almost like Saul is not too sure that he wants to do what, you know, Scott Speakman's character is telling him to do. But it sounds like, well, I don't know. I, I, I sense kind of like he liked him in some way and he yeah. wanted to also be a people pleaser. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's um, I think it's interesting to me as well that for this movie that is very clinical and very squishy at times like this you know his movies are often like the tech in his movies are often organic um mm -hmm. there's a lot of like things that look like other like alien like things grafting into a human body right um but there are two deaths in this movie and i found it really interesting that they are both really quite visceral i won't give one of them away but but there is one that takes place using drills um, like, 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 like a, like a drill into a wall there. The, but the first one is, um, a suffocation and for all of the weird, uh, goriness about this movie, for all of the cutting in this movie, I found it just deeply unsettling that both of the deaths are really, you know, blunt, brutal type of deaths. Personal, right? Because they are. In a way, they're also personal in that sense. Yeah, very much so. Right. So it, they're like almost like in your face. Type yeah. Things, right? Yeah. So, yeah, totally different. I didn't even see the drilling. Like that one, even that one was like, for me, I was just, what just happened? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very quick, interesting. Just, it's quick, but just the thought, you know, like you, you think about like one of the, when you, when you keep coming back on this show, I have to get more and more creative about the questions that I ask you for know your enemy. And one of the right. later questions will be, <laughs> if you had to choose a movie death of choice, how do you want to go? <laughs> the character in this film who dies by drill, that would not be the way I want to go. No, I know. I get that. Absolutely. You, you know, um, <laughs> no, it's strange just because we're talking about themes that are unpleasant and, positions that are really weighty and not exactly what we'd call like a great time on a Friday night. And yet at the same time, I think both of us are talking about this movie very, very affectionately. Mm -hmm. And we both took a lot away from it. I think so. But I also understand that people are not going to relate to what oh, we yeah. say. And I validate that too, yeah. because yeah. It's, I, I think it's just a sensibility the same yeah. way that I may not like other films. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Let's be clear. This is this this movie is a lot. This movie is a very very jagged little pill to swallow. Um, you know, you'll know quick. You'll know inside of ten minutes totally. whether this is a movie for you or not. Um, you know, it, it's and, and it's not. It's no accident that in that ten minutes you see one of the two deaths. Um, but for me, I think if somebody wants to take a chance on it, if they want to wander 
Into the Darkness with David Cronenberg, that this is a really good wander to take. Yeah, I would agree. We end every review here on the Matinee Cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Heidi Morales, what would be your souvenir from Crimes of the Future? I actually have two, but they're connected. It's, right. the, Sar- it's the Sark, which is the sarcophagus-like place where Vigo... The bed? The bed, I guess. Is the it's, no, it's not bed? the bed. The actual where he goes in for the surgery. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it almost looks like a sarcophagus. And I think right. I looked it up. It, I think it is Sark. Okay. And then the Lea Seduce character has a little contraption that she uses. That is cool. To control the surgery. Yeah. That's just too cool. It just is. Just send one. Even if it's like a little replica, I'll take it. Yes. Um, also props to Leia Sadu for the, the physical acting that is going on while she is manipulating that device. I'm like, you know exactly what you're here to do and you are selling the hell out of it. Right. Um, right. I will let that, I will let people experience that for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, if I could take a souvenir from this, I kind of want to try a plastic chocolate bar. <laughs> watching speeding right. walking around munching on them i'm like i bet you they taste good they probably taste like grape um you know knowing <laughs> I, I obviously it might kill me but i i, right. I, I certainly want to take a bite um they, they they look delicious so props to okay. the uh the, the stylist you know you were talking mm. about how his his movies the worlds look very lived in and very very highly designed those right. those protein bars they look like you want to take a bite you know, even if it might kill you. Um, we rate Hair on the Matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Heidi, Crimes of the Future, what do you give this movie? Um, so this is, I would give it a three out of four okay. because I still found it very original okay. and because I like that he's returning to his genre roots. Okay. I think I'm a little warmer on it than you, actually. I'm giving this a three and a half. The only reason why it's not a four is he's competing against himself at this stage of his <laughs> career. and. Yeah. It's not quite the same as some of those other movies we talked about. The weird thing about him, and take that phrase with a grain of salt, um, the interesting thing about Cronenberg is he's actually been gone for quite some time. Like I was wondering if I'd missed something after Maps of the Stars, but that was his last movie yeah, back in 2014. And he kind of took a little bit of a wander in those those three movies, Dangerous Method, Cosmopolis, and Maps of the Stars. I did enjoy Cosmopolis for what it was. It requires a lot of lifting by the audience. Yes. Um, but this is certainly his best movie in quite some time. It's, mm-hmm. It is up there with some of his best movies, I think. But some of his mm-hmm. best movies are four-star movies that, that are absolute classics. Um, three and a half for me. Three stars Thanks. from Heidi Morales. Um, what do you think? Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca. Twitter where I'm matinee underscore ca. Facebook.com. What do you think of David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future? Did you get through it? Was it uncomfortable? Is surgery the new sex? You tell me. Um, we are going to take a very short break and we will be right back to flip the record over and play the other side. back it's matt nakast 287 she's heidi morales i'm ryan mcneil we have been talking about crimes of the future 
weird sex, squishy things, all things David Cronenberg. Um, it's the other side. It's the part of the podcast where we flip the record over. We talk about some further reading, further viewing, other titles you could go on to um, if you enjoyed the movie or you want something that uh, would make a nice companion piece. Heidi, why don't you get us started because um, you have a few. What was one of the first places your brain went to after um, Crimes of the Future? Um, I don't think it was the first one that it went to, but it definitely made me think about it after, maybe like a few days after, which is Titan. Oh, because yes. Because of the, the connection of body and technology and surgery in a way um, that just seemed quite fitting. The difference with this film, with Titan, is that I think it's a little bit more, I don't know what the word is, it's like, Crimes of the Future is visceral, but Titan is visceral in a very different way. Um, Crimes of the Future has more dialogue. Titan does not. The music in Crimes of the Future is quite different. Titan is louder, right? So I think the energy in Titan is very different, but I think it's also the connection to metal in this case. <laughs> and you know, um, But it's also about relationships. Very much so. Uh, we did an episode of this Good, right? show yeah, last fall, episode 269, which I will link in the show notes in case people have now caught up with Titan and would like to hear mm -hmm. uh, my thoughts with Corey Atad. It is a really good episode. Um, nice. Like, I'm going to throw somebody under the bus and say, oh, that episode was shit. Don't listen to that. Um, <laughs> say, take, my, take my recommendation on that with a grain of salt. Um, Titan was my favorite film of the last year, so it doesn't mm -hmm. take much to get me talking about Titan. Um, I think that what's interesting for me between those two movies is Titan felt a lot more loving. As, mm. as weird and as dark, and that's another movie that's very violent and very visceral, mm -hmm. um, but it felt much more sweet, um, much more, much warmer than this movie. This movie is stone cold. Like this movie, there's, we've talked already about how there's a lot of sex and a lot right. of metaphor. There's not a whole lot of love, you know, there, there's a glimmer or two of intimacy, but they are oh, yeah. fleeting. This is a lot more about pleasure than it is about intimacy. Whereas mm -hmm. Titan is the opposite. Titan is much more about people seeking for belonging and, and identity um, I love that. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, yes, that movie is very much influenced by Cronenberg in a way that I still think it makes it its own. Oh, totally. Was, it stands for its own, no problem. Yeah. There was a weird clapping back on, 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 on social media uh, a month or so ago about Titan uh, by some of the uh, crimes of the future people. And I really actually felt that that was, uh, dishonest because I believe there's space for both types absolutely, of films um, and, and that we don't need to get into, well, you did this, but it was done before and it was done better. I think that, that one movie informing another movie um, is great. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I love that movie so much. Thank you for getting yeah, no, I mean, me too. And I, and I try to talk about it with other people, but it's, I, I know a few people that love it as much as me. So oh, that's a shame. That's so, a, yeah. Me. But I mean, you know, it's, Anyway, I you think need, people you need, need to be adventurous. Just, nope. <laughs> be adventurous. Your, your friends have been great. You know, you've had them for you know thirty whatever years. Just time to make new friends. Absolutely. And just you know that. Find me on Twitter, people. That's it. <laughs> um, well, my first um, selection for another side. It might be one of the ones that you were going to mention, but um, 
we have been talking about Cronenberg a lot. Uh, I went back to The Fly um, for this one because a couple things. First of all, I did enjoy the fact that in Crimes of the Future, more than once you can hear a fly on the soundtrack. Like you can hear a fly buzzing through, which if you're watching it at home, that's really going to annoy the crap out of you because you're going to think that there's a fly <laughs> in your living room or, or you know, around your laptop. Um, that was Cronenberg, um, you know, showing what a remake can be. Uh, remakes of films are often looked down upon, but now and then you can take something that was maybe underplayed the first time around and drum it up. Um, that has all of these ideas in it um ariel fisher the last time she was on this show she actually talked quite a bit about it how it was a film of its time so if crime of the future even though it was in a drawer for 20 years is a film of its time the fly was a film of its time with all of the body modification the people going through in the Mm. 80s and the yes um, yes the drive to look more perfect you know Mm -hmm. um and I just like going back to a time when Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis were A-listers. Exactly. I like those two together in that film. Yeah, you did really movie, I'm sure. Yes, I've seen it several times. Yeah. It's also like it showed up on TV also, right? And oh, yeah. like, oh yeah, I'll sit down and watch it again. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my that was my first choice for another side. I, I haven't rewatched it yet, but like if, if it turns up in my letterbox feed over the next few days, people just before we went. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what else did you think about as another movie that somebody could go on to after Crimes? Um, I was also going to recommend uh, just going through Cronenberg's filmography mm-hmm. uh, or do like a little mini retrospective if you want. Um, I did something like that last year, actually. For our ch- chat today, I was thinking of um, Dead Ringers Dead with Ringers. Uh, Jeremy Irons as Jeremy Irons twice. T- Twice. I love me some Jeremy Irons, so twice is no problem. But um, so he's playing these twins, right, who mm-hmm. are are basically super smart and um, they become gynecologists. They're actually working with women who are not able to to get pregnant, infertile women. So it's this idea of mod, a body modification, if you will, in a different way. And it's the use of the tools in that film that I think also was sort of like, okay, it reminds me of the surgery that we're seeing. Yeah. In Crimes of the Future. Yeah. I mean, that film, it almost like, they're all like chrome, uh, old school um, mm-hmm. surgical equipment, like saws and clamps and those and things. Like, I, if, I, if I remember correct, there's not like the opening credits is this like, slow sexy camera work over all the all the tools oh yeah that that he likes to do that with his props yeah i mean you know listen you put all that work into them they're tactile props you might as well Um, yeah yeah you might as well like show them off why not um that movie it's been a minute since i've seen that one but yeah like that that's another one that's really dark really twisted um you know jeremy irons does the neat trick of playing two versions of himself and yet they're very Mm -hmm. distinct um, I remember that movie having Cronenberg's movies usually end with a real punch. Oh yeah. You know, like oh, yeah. he kind of likes to 
kick you in the goodies and then walk away. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah. We'll process that, that humans. <laughs> <laughs> that movie, it, it's, you know, his aim is really, really great with that movie. He gets you right where it counts. Yeah. Um, and, it and spirals. It does. Yeah. Oh, that movie. Mm-hmm. It's that one. I, that one is very easy to find right now. So I, I'm, my, I think so. I, yeah, my list of to watch is is growing by the second here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a movie that I another one that I thought of um, that is not Cronenberg, and I believe it was it is Canadian. Um, was made in two thousand nine. It made the rounds in two thousand and ten because it was one of those that like showed up at a film festival and then made it to theaters the next year. Um, when was the last time you watched Splice? Oh gosh, so long now. But I know the film. Yeah, uh, yeah. Vincenzo Natale, uh, Canadian yes, director. Yes. Uh, so you got you know this Canadian horror connection. Mm-hmm. Adrian Brody, Sarah Pauly. Um, uh, you know I love all of these people. Uh, you've got you know several actors playing this interesting creature that they create that they name Dren, and the whole idea of technology and what we are capable of which is of course Mm -hmm. running very prominently under the surface of crimes of the future is front and center in splice splice of course though it is more of the frankenstein story where the creation gets out of control um you know a a little Mm -hmm. too quickly but i do remember loving that telling of like the prometheus yeah. myth the frankenstein myth of right. you know creators losing a grip on their creation and the morality of it not factoring in it's it, it's been a minute for you yeah absolutely and i was i think i was thinking of vincenzo natale recently because i follow him online so it's like yeah I mean, he was, I feel like I've, I lost track of him for a minute because the last thing I remember, I'm sure he's been doing stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's, 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 it's my problem, not his problem. Um, where the, I think the last time I really um, kept up with him was when he was doing episodes of um, Hannibal. Yes, of you course. Know? Yeah, some, some of the really darker, so really, he's got a way, like, He's kind of a descendant of Cronenberg in the way that he makes um, monsters and violence really beautiful. You yeah. Know, he also worked on, thank you for reminding me of that. He also worked on The Strain, which is based yes. on the, I, I, that's a series that I also quite liked. Obviously not for everybody, but <laughs> yeah, he did, he did some work on that too. I just kind of did a quick look up. I'm surprised he never got bigger. Like he was one of those ones. He kind of seemed like poised to become mm. like one of the next big things. And he just kind of never, don't get me wrong. His stuff is good. And everything I've seen of his, his I've enjoyed. He just sure. never really made that leap. And sometimes you wonder if that's also um, personal choice. Could be. You know, yeah. I, I don't know enough about him in the, in that sense, like career, uh, like why he hasn't taken off, but maybe it's also he likes soon to be. Could be. He is doing that. So yeah. Yeah, very well, very well could be. Um, and you have one more for us. What do you got? Well, this one won't relate to Splice, but it is just to remind people of more Cronenberg if you want to get shocked. Uh, obviously, Crash is the one to watch. Ah, uh, uh, Crash. Uh, Crash. And I also watched it last year in my mini retrospect um, retrospective. So it's about um, people who kind of find solace in this 
support group for survivors of crash, like, uh, you know, crash, car crash victims. But then there's a subculture in those support groups where it's almost, um, you know, it becomes sort of a, a, a kink, quote unquote, because I'm not in that community. But it's, it is sort of, you kind of get aroused in those situations, right? And you are putting your, your bodies at risk um, to, to chase that high, almost like what you were saying earlier, right? That's an example of, yeah, they are chasing a high yeah. and that is a sexual high. Yeah, they start they start going for riskier and riskier things. How is that movie holding up? I I saw I've only ever actually seen it once, and it was at least ten years ago. How is that movie? How's that movie aging? It's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. I think there's part of it that I think people obviously in today's society we are more aware of things. There's you know language has changed to be more you know inclusive and. Um, and all of that. But I think from the storytelling perspective, it's still a pretty good film. Okay. Yeah. I also like the camera work in the cars. Like it's like when you start to think of all the things the production team had to do, right. And the actors also to be like really believable because we're in the car with them. So Mm -hmm. it's also this idea that he's putting us in this, in these sort of situations. Yeah. And you know what, now that you raise that point, what interests me is this is a movie, of course, from 1996 and sh- filming car chases back then was harder. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm not going to necessarily say it was better, but it was certainly right. much more difficult. Filming filming in general now has become easier and easier and easier because cameras are so much smaller mm-hmm. and more maneuverable. Um, mm-hmm. But at the time, the camera was much larger. You probably would have had to like hollow out the back of the car to do some of this stuff. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, so you know, the the level of difficulty was a lot higher to what they what they would do. So, when I rewatch it, when not if, because I will judge me mm-hmm. if you wish. Um, I for will. Sure. I will. One thing I will actually be interested in. I love watching movies for this kind of detail. Is um, this is a movie that, even though it is not named, um, is shot in Toronto. Yes, like a lot of nineties, yeah, like a lot of nineties Canadian films were. Um, what I will be interested in is like looking at how the city has changed. Yes, absolutely, that'll be interesting. I would be curious to hear what you think about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Cronenberg, like his old stuff, that's part of it that it's filmed here. A lot of it is filmed in Toronto, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so and it would, watch- and it definitely, yeah, it definitely would make a good double feature. I mean, it'd be a weird night at the movies, but it'd be a great double feature yeah, with awesome. Crimes of the Future. That's for damn sure. Yeah, so. weird at my house. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. That right. is episode two hundred eighty-seven of the Matinee Cast. I'm so thankful that uh, Heidi was able to make time and come by. Um, come on back on Monday, July fourth, for episode two eighty-eight. I have no idea what we're going to be discussing. I'll figure it out the whole summer. I'm just figuring things out as we go. I'll try to tell people what the next episode is when I figure it out. And uh, you can watch in advance and come and listen to what we have to say. Heidi's work uh, can be found on uh, High Musings. Um, What do you got coming up next week that people can look forward to? Um, What do I have coming up? Oh, probably something on um, theater production in Prince Edward County. So not film related. and. That is fun. Something different. Nice. To, for people who want to get out yeah. uh, of the city 
and uh, The Village House was the one that is the film that's on my list. Right, right. Well, we'll have to look forward to both of those. Um, and of course, uh, Heidi's working for uh, Blood in the Snow. Look forward to that. That takes place, I want to say that takes place in November. Am I wrong? November. Oh, that's good. Right. I'm getting these right now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, and they should, uh, where can they find you? It's at High Musings, H-Y-E-M-U-S-I-N-G-S. Score. My site is thematinee.ca, where you can find all sorts of back episodes of the show. Uh, you can also find them in all the old familiar places, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google, Apple, Stitcher Radio, um, and some new places, TuneIn, Radio Public, CastBox, Podchaser. Everything gives handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Once again, if there's any pod platform of choice you are using that I'm not on, let me know. I'd be happy to put my show there. Feedback on Crimes of the Future, um, David Cronenberg in general, uh, can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca on Twitter. I am matinee underscore CA, or there's always Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Ms. Morales? No, I'm just excited to hear what people um, say about the film. Yeah, no kidding. I, I, just, I, I, I just, I kind of want to like, I, I wish I could almost like sit outside the light box and just watch people coming out. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah, know? I kind of, I kind of like seeing when the lights come on yeah, at the end yeah. of the film. You know, Read like, the body language. Yeah, how many people walked out? <laughs> yeah, see a few dates that are just, there's no second date coming. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very, go. very much curious about that. Yeah. For Heidi, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.